Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Trek Talk with Tech and Kirk. I'm Techman16. And I'm Strange Kirk. And today we're reviewing Season 3, Episode 3, Star Trek Discovery. Let's get right down into it. All right, so, Kirk, um, this episode, I think we could, we could all safely agree that this episode was panned by anybody here who saw it. So I'm going to try to do something different and say, tell me something nice about this episode. Tell me something that you liked. Um... The wardrobe department did a really great job of making sure all the costumes were clean. <laughs> That's a very low bar. A very, very low bar. Yeah, well, in all honesty, if you haven't seen this episode, go outside, set your trash can on fire, and watch it until it burns to the ground. And It's about as entertaining. Uh, all right. I, I'll try to be the voice of reason and say that... I appreciated the Star Trek nature of the discussion between Wen and Ndoye in terms of trying to get a deal together, try to bring a Titan closer to Earth in terms of their relationship, which was non-existent. So it was very Star Trek-esque. It was very TNG, two people with opposing viewpoints coming together with a neutral arbitrator. So I like I like that part. Of course, the negative part about that is it that kind of negotiation is it doesn't really fit and discovery is very bleak and dark kind of nature as a show. All right, Kirk, tell me tell me what you didn't like about the episode. Um probably my least favorite part was begin between the opening credits and the ending credits. Um, would you care to be? Would you care to be more specific? No, I mean the whole the whole thing. Um, again, I understand that Star Trek has always tried to tackle some of the issues that were going on in the in society at the time that they were filmed. But this is, it's gone from thought-provoking to, to almost just propaganda, in my opinion. And I, I just can't get past that. I like to watch Star Trek because it, it does make you think, but I can also enjoy it and completely eliminate any political or ideological things from the from the show and I can I can still enjoy it. I can tune those out. They write it to where you can't. That's the sole purpose of this is it's like the um it's almost like the progressive agenda project. And and I get it. I'm I'm a pretty progressive person. But it's it's gone from the sublime to the ridiculous. And it's pretty obvious what they're trying to do. And I just don't like it. Um I also don't like the fact that it seems like they disregard Everything that has happened in the Star Trek universe. 
Um, they're adding things in that there's no way in, in no way compatible. And I mean, I, I don't want to get into it cause I'll just end up getting upset, but I just, I can't stand it. I'm really upset because it seemed like episode two kind of reeled me in and I was kind of like, wow, okay, you know what? I'm paying attention. And I was really excited to see this episode and see which direction they went with it. And I feel like the, I feel like the carpet was just pulled right out from under me. So I want to get, I want to touch up on the, the agenda part, you know, force feeding a progressive agenda a little bit later, but I want to really dive down into what particular either technology or uh, canon is ignored that makes the show so infuriating, or at least this episode in particular, infuriating for Trek fans. Well, for me, it's, it's the show as a whole. I mean, every time I see something in the Discovery with their shiny holographic projectors and all these things that don't exist in Kirk's time, which is supposed to be 10 years after this ship. Um, and yes, I get it. This, this particular season takes place a thousand years in the future, but that ship does not. The ship is supposed to be quote-unquote old technology. And it's considered an antique. Um, <clears throat> I, I keep coming back around to it. and I, I guess I'll say it again. That the technology does not fit the timeline. It does not. There's no explaining it. I don't care what you say. With the, well, you know, um, well, the visual effects at the time when they made the original series, blah, 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 blah. I don't care. Okay. You start with that, with that technology. And then you want to go in the past, in the same timeline, you can't come up with new technology and the excuses. Well, now we have better CGI. It doesn't matter. There's still a continuity issue. So that kind of, that upsets me every time I watch it. Uh, and in this show, it seems like, it seems like the technology that crops up, it's always very convenient. It's like, oh, we have this issue. Like, uh, they're introducing the technology and it's always so convenient. It's like, oh yeah, there's this new technology for that. Every problem that comes up, there's a new te technology. Is it with whether it be the instant transporters. Oh, yeah, man, we can just transport wherever we want to now. We totally have that. Oh, that sure is convenient. And then you have, uh, you know, Earth has a whole force field around it. Oh, well, that's, that's super convenient. And just things like that, I, everything in this show is way too convenient. To me, it's like there's a, there's a challenge presented and then there's always this one piece of technology that can get them out of it. Like, oh, hey, look, it's the future. We have this new piece of technology. That'll get us out of this. Oh, cool. Problem solved. Well, where was the actual problem solving? So, it, there really isn't. Yeah, so there's not really a problem. Well, this is what we need to do. We have to make do with the technology that we have and blah, 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 blah. No, it's, oh, hey, check this out. This, here's a cool problem that we're going to present. And instantaneously, we're going to solve this problem by introducing this piece of technology. That was part of Star Trek, was a problem solving. Let's figure out how we can use our technology to overcome this obstacle. Or how we can use our human ingenuity, or, or whatever the case may be. Vulcan ingenuity, or whomever come up with it, came up with the idea. It's not there. Um, and I just, the whole show is just very dry. It, like I said, the episode two kind of put the hook in my mouth. And I was like, wow, okay. You know what? I still have some issues with it, but I'm going to keep an open mind and I'm going to 
I'm going to keep going. And even this episode, there were several people that I talked to that are huge Discovery fanboys and girls. And even they said, hey, I, I got nothing for you, man. I can't really, there's not much I can say to defend this. So what I have an issue with myself is the, um, the grandiose scale of the burn. And the throwaway lines... So usually Star Trek has some throwaway uh, technical babble that they do, you know, to move the plot along, like, uh, you know, reroute auxiliary power, which means nothing, but it's, it's there. In this case, they have a throwaway line like, Burnham talks about the burn and how simultaneously dilithium dries up and then every ship with an active warp core exploded. I'm like, okay, you know, we'll we'll get to that part later. This is going to be a kind of a Red Angel reveal where they kind of drop the ball, I'm pretty sure. However, um, when I look back in, in you know, in the TNG episode with uh, Leah Brahms and Jordi LaForge, I believe there were two of them, where they recrystallize or they did a, do a different orientation of the dilithium crystal. As far as I remember, there wasn't much dilithium. And then all of a sudden, Discovery has like a treasure trove, a vault full of dilithium. For Yeah, there's, there's, it literally looks like a football stadium full of dilithium. And you're like, wait, why does where's, the starship... Why does where the starship is this on the ship? <laughs> <laughs> right? right? Usually the dilithium is in the warp core. It's in the man, matter-antimatter containment unit. Now, okay... Let's let's leave that alone for a sec. But Im- but imagine the gravity effect of all the ships that use dilithium. They all blow up if they're if they're in in an active warp field or you know the the antimatter antimatter reaction is is in progress and all these ships blow up. So that being said, why would Earth need a, a defense grid? To guard the planet against wannabe dilithium raiders, that part kind of skips a beat for me because, okay, nobody has a working ship. Or if they do, then they have the dilithium they need. So why would an entire planet and I mean, and I'm talking a planet need to protect the whole planet from would be tiny little spec ships scourging for dilithium with a with Earth, a population of like billions to a population of like a handful of people trying to prevent theft of dilithium. Like it just that part, it just just throws me. Because it comes back around to something that you and I talked about off air. It comes back around to because that's not what they're focused on. They're not focused on the continuity of the show. They're focused on, hey, we need to do this because it'll portray what's going on these days. Propaganda. Yeah, I guess that that flows into the uh, progressive agenda, if you will. That's what that's kind of that's kind of what I'm coming from. It's not to and, and here's the deal. Again, I don't want anybody to misunderstand because Lord knows somebody's gonna want to get offended when they hear it, but get o- get over yourself. What I'm saying is <clears throat> I agree with a lot of 
the quote unquote progressive agenda or, or what have you, whatever you want to call it. My thing is, is that I don't like the fact that it's being spoon fed to people in a TV show. Uh, that's that's the part I don't like, whether or who you support politically, it doesn't matter. I just don't like that aspect of it. So for me, it seems like they're focused way too much on that. We want our opinions to be heard at the detriment of the storyline. So the storyline right, is con- garbage. Yeah, right. So the storyline's garbage. So the storyline's garbage. And but guess what? We got our we got our propaganda out. Yeah, everybody's all inclusive and stuff. Yeah, that's 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 what I'm getting at. Like I say, I I get it and I'm all for it, but it's gone from the uh, 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 let's introduce that into the show and let's bring up to the point to where ah screw the storyline. We got to just make sure that people know that we're being progressive. Right. I know you and I had an offline conversation regarding the Burnham character and her appearance now as it was before in the past couple of day, you know, past couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, um, getting away from her appearance, I actually do not like the Burnham character in season three. And it has nothing to do with her looks. It has everything to do with, first of all, the writing. I am not a fan of the writing. But this was a woman who was raised by Vulcans. Is human, raised by Vulcan. For a a majority of her life. Now, in this season, she was searching for discovery for one year. And all of a sudden... She gets to Discovery, and she's like this loosey-goosey kind of emotional individual who doesn't want to play by Starfleet's rules anymore because she doesn't believe she belongs there anymore. After one year, you know? And it, 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 it really is very unfortunate because if she was raised in a Vulcan lifestyle for her teenage years, her childhood years, through adolescent years, then that technically sticks with somebody. And yeah, there's... Well, their idea of Vulcans in this, uh, it's, it's... As Star Trek has gone on, even in Enterprise, as it's gone on, the Vulcans have become more and more emotional for some reason. And I don't know who came up with this asinine idea where, I mean, you look at Spock in the first couple seasons, and he's just this blubbering, crying wuss. And he's just over-emotional and everything like that, and I, 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 I can't stand that. You know, I get it. Sometimes uh, Vulcans would go through certain periods where they were emotional, or they'd have something going on, and you could justify showing some emotion. But it's all the time where they're just, there's no distinction between a Vulcan and a human other than we put some pointy ears on them in the prop room. It's just, it's horrible to me. And I agree with you, with, my, with the Burnham character. You're raised by Vulcans, but you're emotionally driven. So I don't understand. Again, there's, there's, this is where the writers are just not, they're either not paying attention, or it doesn't fit into the, the agenda that they want to push, so they just alter it to fit their, what their wants and needs. Right, because you know you you think, and you you mentioned this before, how the original series Spock, played by Leonard Nimoy, he used his human side as an advantage to the Vulcan side, 
to make him better than the sum of the parts. You know, and Burnham is supposedly Spock's sister, you know, adopted sister or whatever, but still she should espouse the same human and Vulcan traits that would make her better than the sum of her parts, keeping logic intact, but using, you know, human intuition to understand situations better. And that would that would have been a better mix. But now it's it, for some reason, it seems like with all the Vulcan training that you had and all the Starfleet training that you had, you give up on your principles in one year. I mean, hell, it took a lot. It, it took flying bulkheads and uh, transdimensional aliens to force the Equinox crew into desperate mode because they were fighting for their lives and yet here burnham is basically on a luxury cruise with you know her quote-unquote not boyfriend for a who's year still, who find, you, you mean the guy who find, who still finds the time to do crossfit in a post-apocalyptic universe yeah yeah that that guy and all of a sudden one year one year all that all that Starfleet training, all that Vulcan in, in, intuitive knowledge that has been uh, percolating for, for years and years and years. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to do the Giorgio route. Like that, that is just very infuriating from a canon perspective. And I think it's a disservice to, to Burnham. And it's a disservice to the actress because I think she's a really good actress and she does a really good job with Burnham. It's just a disservice to that type of character. Well, my 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 thing with that character is I don't even think she's just gone the route of wanting to be kind of a rogue. I mean, she wants to do her own thing, yet then she puts on the Starfleet uniform and it's this big, huge deal. And even the part where she's doing the swearing in or the, the flag thing in the first episode. And it's this big, huge deal. It's like I said, there's no continuity here. It's all over the place because it's, again, it really seems like, well, hey, guys, it's almost like the fly on the wall in that room is like, hey, guys, you know, I was reading through this script, doing some, uh, you know, some QC here. And, you know, there's a lot of inconsistencies, and I feel like we should change this, this, and this. And then, you know, the guy at the head of the table goes, or girl at the head of the table goes, well, you know, that doesn't really, we're trying to push this particular agenda, and that doesn't fit. So we're going to just leave it like it is. So back to guy number one, he goes, well, you know, like real Star Trek fans are going to see right through all this and they're going to pick this apart and completely demolish this. And they're going to be really upset because there's no continuity here and it doesn't make sense. This is their universe. Yeah, we don't care. This is how it's going out. And it's, this is to me, this is the upsetting part because I feel like, especially after episode two, I felt like there was so much potential there. I was like, okay. Here we go, redeeming themselves, and then nothing. Let's go back to the whole Vulcan and emotion part of it. You guys have got to remember, Vulcans used to be full of emotion. Well, during the time of Surak, yes. But, Donnie, uh... you're out of your element. No, no, no. He, Raptor brings up a good point. Vulcans were emotional beings. And then during the time of Surak, they found logic. And effectively, that's part of what caused the schism between Vulcans and Romulans. 
and and that's fine but that happened what like a thousand years before archer oh yeah 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 at this at this point you're talking about what 13 1400 years or something even you're looking even at you're looking at that. the year like 1260 when the vulcans had their uh you know uh, what was it with the kirshara and the and the logic whatever so they're like year 1260 and then discovery takes place in the year 3188 so they've had 1900 years well this season does this season of it takes place at 3188 you said this season takes place in 3188 the original discovery was uh, when discovery was from its original timeline it was 10 years before Kirk. okay yeah yeah okay well i'm i'm just saying fine you're you're right it's so it took uh so it's plus 900 something years so you're looking at uh, like 1900 years no 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 still wait wait wait, wait. i'm wrong so a thousand, thousand years? years about a thousand yeah like 1300 something like that 1300 years right but here's so here's my point though is that as and you even look at look at enterprise all the Vulcans were like smart asses. And I'm not talking about where they said stuff that just happened to be matter of fact. You could tell that they were written in as smart ass comments and snide little remarks. That's emotion. That shows emotion. Condescension, pomposity, all those things, those come from emotion. And so at some point, somebody thought it would be okay to make the Vulcans, uh, you know, dickheads. And so then, you know, it just carries on and on and on and on and on. And now you got a bunch of freaking, you know, 30-year-old man buns sitting around a room. Oh, dude, you know, you know what the Vulcans evolved into? They evolved into the Coneheads. That's what they've evolved into. Oh, my God. You are stimulating me. Well, even in the original series, Spock showed emotion, especially with Christopher Pike. Very, very, very seldom. Not every episode and every appearance was it something emotional. No, but he broke Starfleet's rules, kidnapped Christopher Pike just to take him to a planet that was, you know, deemed uh, it was a forbidden planet. Basically, uh-huh. they weren't allowed to go back to that planet. Yeah, right. And I get that. I get that. That's fine. If you want to write that into an episode to show that he has a human side. But not, I love you and everything's, oh, I miss you and be safe. And I, no, dude, he's a, he's a blubbering freaking pansy. And that's not Spock. And, you know, part of it could be that the character's not selling it very well. Uh, I think the. I think the Spock from the Abrams world or the Kelvin timeline did a better job at being Spock. All right, everybody. So, uh, Handyman, Strange Kirk, Admiral Jansen, myself, and Ambergan, we're discussing uh, the what's perceived a progressive agenda that Star Trek Discovery is trying to push, whether it's it's blatant or not, or what are the pros and cons, and 
Jansen, why don't, why don't you have the floor? So, so when we talk about this progressive agenda, it you have to be very specific about what you're referring to. Because right now, what is being commented on the most is Adira and her sexual or their sexuality as non-binary. I went to a page just like ours, and the comment about Adira was she was born a female, she is a female, this doesn't really exist, this is science fiction. So you have to understand, when you start talking about the progressive agenda, people in my community are going to jump to Adira's defense. And we're going to say, exactly how is this aggressive in any kind of way, considering she was introduced as a female? No one knows. She is non-binary. They are working it in very smoothly. They hired a non-binary actor to play a non-binary character simply because they didn't want to mess up and they wanted input from the community on how this character should be developed. So... I don't see anything in regards to that piece being, we're being subjected to that. So, you know, you know, going forward, when we, we start talking about this progressive agenda, I think it's really important we talk specifically what we're referring to and be able to have that, that conversation. Because right now, my community is getting attacked over this Adira character, and we won't have it. So if I may interject, um, I kind of want to summarize it in in terms that aren't so, uh, I guess, belligerent sounding. Now, I used to watch a lot of anime, and I don't know if anybody listening or anybody else here has watched a lot of anime. But there was a common term that refer to the kind of over-sexualization of women's breasts in anime that's called fan service. And effectively, when uh, a manga is created, it, it doesn't necessarily um, have an over-sexualization depe- depending on what's depicted, but when it's put on an anime format, um, a lot of these w- women characters have bigger breasts to appeal to, you know, lowest common denominator. So I think if I can summarize kind of this argument, it's not necessarily a progressive agenda. I think it's a lot of fan service for diversity, just for diversity's sake. So there is a gay couple, which I think is portrayed very well. I agree with Kirk um, as having couple issues, not necessarily just, you know, they're gay couple issues, but just couples issues. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I like the representation of various different races and species and uh you know not just not just uh various species but like human races there's black representation there's um asian representation on the bridge of the discovery but i think what people are getting to is there's there's a it's 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 for fan service and it's for you know for us younger generation to to show that we're all inclusive for the sake of inclusivity as opposed to progressing a storyline or a good storyline i think i think that's probably the best way that uh, i wish i could have explained it that way i think that's probably the best way of explaining it is exactly what you said it's for the sake of doing it rather than the sake of the storyline i guess that's what i what i should have said if i if i could have thought of that 
if I can come in just a wee bit on that, lads, I'm less concerned um, with what um, what what they're trying to say when it comes to diversity. I think it's great. I think that uh, diversity should be out there promoted um, in all facets of, of entertainment, what we're seeing out there and what we're being fed through the media. Um, I'm all for that. Uh, I referenced before we started recording the Katie Sackhoff show, Another Life, which for me was uh, an extreme version of uh, ramming a progressive agenda down your throat. I, I regard myself as quite a progressive person, um, but I found myself in this kind of situation where if I didn't like this, I would be labelled conservative, right? And that, that's not how I see myself, right? Um, for From a Star Trek point of view, I don't think Star Trek Discovery is anywhere near, or any of the Star Trek stuff is anywhere near as blatant as that. I think it's quite mild. I agree that the, the Stamets and, and, and Culver storyline was done very well. It, it, it slips on by in, in the thing without it being an issue about what it is that they're portraying. Um, and it's not insulting, it shouldn't be insulting to anybody. Um, I totally agree with you. What, uh, what I don't like about Star Trek, for me, and, and again, this is just my, my point, I want this to be a grabbing, grabbing a hold of me and making me want to get, get involved in it, making me want to be there with them and, and exploring all of this. And there's a load of holes that we can poke, especially in episode three there. And I, I, I'm, I'm hearing all that stuff that Jansen's saying about the non-binary character. For me, looking at that as a Star Trek fan, it wasn't even an issue. I wouldn't even have been aware, except for the fact that I'm discussing with you guys and I'm, uh, you know, I am digging a little bit deeper because of the sort of conversations we were planning to have. I'm aware that that character was supposed to be the non-binary character and representation, uh, representing uh, that that person or that 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 community. If I, if I wasn't aware of that beforehand, I wouldn't I, I would have missed that completely. I wouldn't have even noticed it, right? So it wouldn't even have stood out for, for me. So I'd agree with Jansen in the sense that it's being it's quite seamless in how it was done. Um, the big criticism that I'm seeing is more from the the canon kind of um, point of view from the people that are criticizing it around, oh, well, hold on a second. Uh, um, how is this person a trill when no human has ever combined with, a, with you know, a symbiote before except for Riker? And interestingly, one of the one of the, the things that I seen at the start of the show that I went, oh, this might be interesting was that Jonathan Frakes directed this one. And I was like, wow. And I just I found myself thinking. Was that thrown in there? Like the non-binary character, was it Freaks himself had an input into the story there to go? Well, let's uh, let's re uh, rehash uh, the, the the moment that he had that's unique to him in the whole of Star Trek canon that he was the only human being that ever got oh, uh, had a symbiote. Yeah, I remember right? that episode now. And I and, I, and I, wonder, I wondered why was like was that Freaks doing? Like was that his input into that to kind of hand over? that kind of thing and and the criticism i was seeing was that uh, well these symbiotes aren't they uh, you know they, they, they can't combine with a human host like that, that that's just ridiculous and i found myself sitting thinking well, there's no real need for that kind of criticism because we're 900 years in the future who knows what advances they've made to make this possible and it makes sense that if the admiral uh, if the admiral the most senior figure in the federation when it's fallen apart is going to die find somebody young that they're going to be able to carry that on, carry on the knowledge. Like So it, it made sense to me. I had no particular difficulty with it. In terms of non-binary stuff, I didn't even notice that, to be honest with you. It wasn't an issue for me. Um, but what I don't like is that right now, out in popular culture and everywhere we see, it is quite popular to uh, to show how progressive we all are. You know, it, it gets votes for politicians. It gets, you know, attention for people. 
there are those who will go out and be a little bit right wing about it all and they'll be critical of it and they'll get their attention in a negative kind of way but there are a lot of people jumping on bandwagons here and what I don't like is that for me Star Trek was never about jumping on the popular opinion of the day Star Trek was about creating unpopular opinions to say that this is right and right now you dare not say anything against a progressive agenda that might be out there because it's popular and and for me if Star Trek were, were to truly represent the challenging kind of things that they were saying of the day they'd be coming out and saying well actually hold on a second this is where we're all getting it wrong this might be popular but we're getting it a little bit wrong and and they would upset people in their storylines by doing what's right or having a common sense approach if that makes sense right well real quick this is just real quick let me jump in there just to clarify you're saying that uh or let me ask if what you're saying is that you're because the way that I heard that it, it could I could see where it could be misinterpreted is you're not saying it's wrong, but you're saying that maybe they should be a little more thought provoking rather than kind of going. I'm saying, with the flow. I'm saying and maybe Johnson will disagree and I'd love to hear his comments on this. But from my point of view, I'm saying there's still work to be done on convincing a lot of our souls out there that uh, um, the gender issues or sexuality issues or whatever is nobody's business except the people. That, uh, that choose to be part of that community. Um, it's, not, it's not for me to judge, and anybody who would judge uh, is, is, is an arsehole that has no, uh, their, their opinion holds no water in my book, right? Yeah. But to yeah. me, that battle is won. We have won that battle. Progressive-minded people, right-minded people have won this battle in the last generation. There's no real, like there's a lot of mopping up and tidying up to do on that because there's still assholes out there who will judge on these on the basis of sexuality or gender or whatever. But but that battle to me is won. Um, everybody who jumps on the bandwagon uh, knows that this battle has been won. So without it really being a true value that they hold, they'll jump on that for political gain or to be heard or to, you know, to slipstream some sort of uh, favorable social media thread or something like that, just to be part of what the majority are now saying, uh, because that right. battle is won. Um, Star Trek for me was about starting the fights and starting the battles that have yet to be won, have yet to be even tackled. T tackling the prejudice out there that has not been tackled properly yet. We have a whole generation behind us of brave people who have tackled the prejudices around these issues that Discovery is tackling right now. What do you, what do you say to that, Jansen? Um... There, <laughs> there's a lot because when I think about what Morgan was saying, and I, and I hopefully I got this in the right context, but you know, you said it's it's no business of theirs to know, you know, what my identity is. And the thing is, is humanity is always curious, and they always want to know, and they always want to seek that out. And part of our role in our community is to educate, so that you can understand our perspective and that is why we do seek to educate the community the the greater community on our own personal struggles while we have the same struggles as a lot of heterosexual people of the world we have different struggles as well um you know a lot of a lot of it has to do with the um amount of lgbt youth that are suicidal the amount of lgbt youth that are rejected by their families um, and cause these these mental issues for the rest of their lives more so than 
uh, youth of um, that are of a straight orientation. Um, so, you know, for me, when when you were saying that, that I, I'm not sure if that was the right context, Amergan, but for me, it was about, you know, the reason that they come into these stories is for for education. So you can see that we actually do exist. So you can see that this act, this actor who is non-binary is influencing how that character is written. So you can understand their problems as a person in this world today. Right. And, and the point I suppose I'm making there, Johnson, it's not, like I said, I wouldn't even notice that this person was non-binary. I, I, I really wouldn't have registered. Right. So if what you're saying is there that there are people there in that community and, and other communities as well who are suffering from high suicide rates, for example, then let's tackle the subject of suicide. Don't just stick a token non-binary person in there that you hardly even notice. And then that's the job done. That, that is hijacking uh, um, the progressive agenda to look cool rather than actually tackling the issue. Now, if that non-binary character goes on in the season and starts to reveal these are the issues that I have faced around suicide and things like this, great, we're tackling issues that needs to be tackled. This is another fight that has yet to be fought properly and it, that isn't being fought properly or rejection by, by their family. If, they, if that's an issue that's being raised and it's like I have been isolated because of my identity or who I am, that's, then let's fight that fight. Don't just stick in somebody there that represents a grouping out there because it's popular. Well, and then, and then no, move no, on to no, fucking Burnham's hair or something, thing, you know? <laughs> here's the thing that I, I will have to say about that going forward is and i'm not usually one of these people that does this but i think it's a little too early for us to even be discussing adira because i think we're going to see a lot of interactions with gray and adira um we know that by a lot of different things but I think that'll be a very interesting discussion when that happens. I can I can get behind you on that one. I think it's we're we're talking about this as if as if we've already seen all the episodes. So absolutely, we're kind of getting ahead well, of ourselves. Again, again, I kind of want to bring into focus that what Ambergen was saying it brings into the forefront of the fan service argument. We're going to have these characters because they do exist in our society, but job well done. They're there. It's not like a contemporary uh, reflection upon society of like, you know, here's a race of, you know, say all males and they're all committing suicide because there are no females. And why is that? You know, what's the root well, cause? <laughs> in fact, no, no offense to you whatsoever or anyone here. But you just explained us, the planet that Janison, Janison wants to live on. <laughs> but, but for us, we're like... Oh my God, we're actually on screen <laughs> for the you first know, time. That's, Jansen, Jansen, that's that's actually that is very important, and I'm glad you brought that up because on the flip side, obviously, I'm not being critical. And people, if you're listening to this and you haven't been listening to our show a long time, go back to episode. Uh, crap, which one was it? Uh, tech, but the episode where we had um, um, episode look, three with Mara Jade. With Mara Jade, right? Go listen to that episode, and then if you still have this this knee jerk reaction about how you think we are, go listen to that episode, and and then I guarantee you it'll change your mind. And if it doesn't, it's because you didn't listen to that episode. So <laughs> I think it is important that you that you bring that up too, because at the same time, 
I, we're looking at it through a lens of, at least I am, I'm looking at it through a lens of a straight guy. Now, of course, there's a white, a white, white straight man, right? So I'm looking at it through this lens. Now, I've lived in really bad communities. I lived in a community where I was targeted because I was white. So yes, I have faced people judging me based on race just because I was a white guy in a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood. So I've been shot at as a kid. I've been stabbed. I got scars to prove it. Um, and all these things stem because none other than you look different. So in that aspect, I can appreciate that. Now, moving forward, I, I've always loved to surround myself with people from all different walks of life. That's to me, is how you make yourself better because you can then learn, well, hey, I can ask this question from this person and I can see what this person's going through and I can appreciate, not understand, but I can appreciate the gravity of the situations that other people face. But it's also important, I say all that to say this, it is important to remember that just because I can appreciate that someone is going through a hard time or that they have difficulties that they're facing, I can't understand and I never will because I'm not a member of that community. I'm not a member of that culture, right? So mm -hmm. that is very important to say that, yes, I may say that, hey, I, don't, I feel like a lot of this stuff is shoved in to the storyline and it doesn't really fit. However, at the same time, it's also very important for people to feel like they belong because they do. Now, now the thing I just thought about as well is because I totally agree with that. It's important to introduce that type of character, but also write th those stories about that character in modern day world. However, I think part of the problem is the discovery, the way discovery is written, it isn't written episodically. Now, can they include those stories into the overarching seasonal story? Because that's what Discovery does, is that seasonal story. And, and that's what a lot of people have you, issues with. You said it earlier, we're going to have to wait and see, because this season is where a lot of those things are cropping up. The past two seasons, right. there really wasn't so much of that. The only thing that I really saw that, that could even be construed as that way would be Stamets and Colburn. That's it. So that was basically the only thing, which, as we know, was done fantastically. And I hope we see much more of that relationship because I love that dynamic. But again, you said it earlier, we're talking as if we know what's going to happen and we don't. Right. And so, Jansen, I think you hit on a critical point, which I've been critical. <laughs> now, personally, I don't really care what the characters are, or what race or orientation. To me, to me, it's it's not as important as what the message that the show is trying to convey is it thought-provoking is it star trek and to me the writing is the worst part of this entire show i think we have a great cast i really do uh you know adira side you know we don't know too much about her yet um I think everybody down the list does a really great job playing these characters. I think they really, imper uh, you know, uh, uh, personified diversity and they just personified Starfleet in a dignified manner. Just the writing is, I'll, I will say it again, it is really, 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 really poor because you have such inconsistency with the canon that's existing and you know and what they're trying to do with the show and that really they they do the best that they can 
within the show, but the writing is just what derails the whole thing. Now, yeah, it's a, it's a real pedestrian effort on the writer's part. And and I think for, for a lot of people who, who can't understand what Tech is talking about, because they love Discovery so much, I really encourage them to go back and watch a season of TNG and ask yourself, what did you learn? Because I can guarantee you every single episode of TNG, or almost every single episode, you are going to learn a lesson. Yeah. And that that is what's missing from Discovery. Right. And one of the episodes uh, that I actually really enjoyed is the one where Riker uh, falls in love with an androgynous alien who may have some female leanings, but that's forbidden in their society and they have to be rewired, you know, uh, very similar to, uh, you know, gay conversion therapies that exist all throughout the United States. So that that's a very pointed episode. Which I think, kind of because Frakes was directing this episode, you have this non-binary character, and then you have the callback to the trail that Riker was, was you know, uh, Ambassador O'Don that he was joined to. So I, I think all, like, all those interesting kind of storylines from TNG kind of intersect in Discovery. In well, the-, the, the one thing I did want to mention about that, too, with Adira and her symbiote, remember, even Trill are rejected by symbiotes. We remember the episode of DS9 where they stole the, the, the symbiote out of Dak. It rejected the host. Right. And was, thank they were both you. going to get killed. Right. So thank you for bringing that up. I, I do want to point out humans have only had one data point with joining of a trill. That doesn't mean to say that somebody else can't be joined from the human race with the trill. Now, we all know that... This can happen mainly because the progenitors seeded the human race throughout the galaxy. So that's why all the races are effectively the same race. Klingons and humans and Cardassians, they're all the same race technically because they can interbreed. If they were different species, they couldn't be able to. That's a, that's a scientific argument. I don't want to go. On, honestly, I'm, I'm really curious to see how they're going to write this in. <laughs> well that's the well, thing i think you, you this this trill thing can go either way if they don't address yeah. it then i want to fight somebody in the parking lot whoever wrote that because it needs to be addressed at least come up with well hey wait a minute i thought humans and trill i thought that they couldn't oh yeah well then they came up with this thing and then blah 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 blah. at least right. give something even if it's a well, cheap explanation so going back to the writing this is where i get frustrated because in episode three burnham was explaining the burn and it's it's like simultaneously all of that lithium like went inert and then active warp cores went kaboom like across the galaxy and millions of people died when there's trillions of life forms. So in the grand scheme of things, it's not a lot, but it's it, it see. And this is where I, I hate the writing where Stamets actually points out what I've been screaming. How is this possible? And then there's like throwaway dialogue by Giorgio, who was like, says the man who, who operates a giant mushroom. And you're like, no, no, don't make fun of it with an equally more ridiculous statement. No, explain this. I have to say, I'm starting to like Giorgio's character more because she's starting to give good entertainment value. And I can't, fuck, I can't think of her name. Tig is the actress, um, Michelle the engineer. Giancarlo. 
Yeah, like where the fuck? Where the fuck is she? She should be in every bloody episode. Like she is the true. To my my mind, she's the true inheritor of the Mackay Bones kind of cynical kind of character. You know what I mean? She is like, yeah, yeah. She's got that same stage presence, you know, that the Forrest Kelly kind of had. You know, um, why is she not in every bloody episode? I, I I just I don't understand. They should be pulling out all the stops to make give her some sort of role in every episode. She should be a central character, and I would find myself more interested in watching. I, I, I don't know. Um, the, the comment you made earlier about Burnham's hair, I, I fully accept it. I, I couldn't get over You mentioned something at the start, uh, uh, Tech, about this idea that um, she'd kind of, um, after a year, she'd kind of forgotten her crew. She'd kind of moved away from that. And I was thinking to myself, and there was this, there was this heavy emphasis on, oh, we have to move on. Sometimes if you love somebody enough or you love something enough, you have to let it go and all of this. And I was like, what, are you, what the fuck are you trying to say here? Like, what, what? a year? She's been away from her entire life a year on in this completely alien environment and all of that. And she's just moved on like that. And she comes back and she just then forgets entirely the chain of command, which is what we're supposed to be clinging to viciously here because the Federation's gone. So the only thing we have left in terms of the Federation is the chain of command and all of that kind of stuff. And she rejects the chair. Burnham should have been straight into that chair when fucking, uh, um, what do you call him, um, Thing he offered it to her, like when Saru offered it to her, you know, and, and she just, oh no, I've kind of moved on. What the fuck is that? And and yet we have this guy who, for generations, was religiously holding on to the Federation flag, and this has been held for hundreds of years, religiously because of this idea. And yet Burnham, in the space of twelve months, just lets it go. That's shocking stuff to me. <laughs> like, like that was bad writing. Have, it was just bad writing. Somebody, somebody explained to me. Wasn't there a series of like a ship lost in the Delta Quadrant, seventy thousand light years away? And, and <laughs> did, did they lose their Federation identity? Yeah, exactly. And they've got the, and the, the, the fact that they've got the fucking Marquis stuck in the middle of it, who who's, <laughs> who were hell bent on fucking uh, usurping the Federation, like, and yet they, they came together and held on to the chain of command and. I, I just, I don't know, I just, uh, uh, that uh, that annoyed me more than anything else in the episode, I have to say. <laughs> like, All right, okay, so let's let's go a different direction, and everybody say something nice about episode three. Let's, Jansen, why don't you start? Um, let's see. <laughs> let, me, let me think about that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine, fine, I will start. I will start. I really enjoyed uh, that moment of diplomacy between Wen and yes! Boyer. <laughs> it, it it was uh, it was a very good callback to what Star Trek was. It as as it felt very out of place in the very kind of uh, dystopian universe that Discovery's in. It was very nice just to see that kind of. Uh, you know, and uh, it was facilitated by none other than Giorgio, who who like kicked the leg of Wen and took off his thing and realized, oh shit, he's human from Titan, and they've been trying to get resources from Earth and stuff. And I thought that was a very uh, well done scene. So well done, Jonathan Frakes. Very good callback. All right, so why don't we skip Jansen, and why don't we go to Kirk? Kirk, say something nice about Episode Three. Uh, um, well, um, I'll tell you, uh, I like how bold and brazen 
the writers were in disregarding so many things Star Trek and I, I don't know. Nice. I think it's kind of, I, I think it might be kind of and I know I'm not I don't I'm not trying to be facetious either. It takes a lot to go a different direction because it's uncharted. Whether you fail or succeed, it's still the fact matters it takes a lot of courage. So I think that it took a lot of courage to do some of the things that they're doing um, because it is kind of the unknown. It's not very Star Trek-y. And you got to respect that, whether you like it or not. Amergan, what say you? Honestly, the most positive moment I had um, in the episode was when I seen Jonathan Freak's name come on the screen. Um, after that... I was waiting for something. I agree with you, what you're saying about the moment of diplomacy. Again, I wonder, was that Jonathan Frakes? Is it a good thing that people like that are involved in Discovery? I think it is. I think that these are the people that are going to bring it back to what we're asking for. Um, I think there's a lot of people involved that don't know what they're doing. And I think the likes of Jonathan Frakes does know what he's doing. So he might. I, I hope he's not a lone voice in the wilderness. I hope, uh, I hope this is a sign of things to come. Um, I think there were a few things there that did tip the hat to to what it is we're crying out for in terms of whether it's Voyager or Next Generation or any of those kind of shows. Um, but uh, outside of that, I, it didn't excite me like other episodes did. It didn't excite me the way even the first episode did, and it wasn't the most exciting episode. Um, uh, I liked, I, I did like, I'll agree with Sarah, I did like Burnham's hair. I didn't think that it needed to be said, but uh, I, I did like her hair. Um, <laughs> Um, we got a hair but, sighting. We got a hair you know, sighting. You know, Buck is gone. I, I don't know if that's a good thing. Um, he's a he's a good actor. That guy, I've seen him in like English gangster movies and things like that. Um, I I don't know if it's he's probably going to reappear. You'd imagine, but um, the fact that he's leaving, I, I I'm uh, I'm not sure. But I, I I did like the way he and Burnham were able to go off a little bit renegade, a little bit rogue there to kind of. Fingers crossed that Saru and the guys know what we're doing here. We're going to resolve the situation in that kind of renegade fashion. Um, I like that. Um, you know, and I, and I suppose it le at the end of it, I, I did once the diplomacy bit was over, I had a positive kind of feeling around. Well, okay, like maybe maybe now we are actually starting to see the regrowth of the of the federation in the sense that now we have at least in our solar system. Um, humans who were um, split from each other, fighting over resources, now they're starting to come together. And this is the first sign that Discovery is actually doing what it's setting out to do, and that's rebuild the thing a little bit. Okay, Jansen, found anything yet? Yes, yeah, so it would it would definitely be going back to um, Adira, Tilly, and Stamets. I think they're building in a chemistry there. And I'm really liking the dialogue between them because I think Adir is going to be an, another very intelligent engineer. And I think she's going to help them kind of come up to speed with the 31st century a lot. And she did seem equally fascinated by their 23rd century tech. This is the power of math, people. <laughs> Handyman, what did you find? Ex what did what did you like about episode three? Well, I also liked Burnham's hair, um, but uh, I'd have to say I actually liked the fact that Earth had broken off from the Federation. 
I thought it was an interesting concept, totally alien, like anybody could have possibly guessed that Earth wouldn't be part of the Federation anymore. So I thought that was also kind of brave, and I enjoy to see how that story goes. Hopefully they touch on it more. Okay, all right. That, that's an interesting point. It's, uh, it's different than what it's most super different. want to clamor but for. I like to see different stuff. Um, I like to see... I like to see Star Trek in general kind of transform and and change over time. Like I understand that all the other episodes, all the older older Star Trek shows, you know, like we were saying earlier, they're kind of each episode's kind of a complete story, and there's a lesson to be learned, and that's just kind of how they did TV and shows back then, kinda. Um. But that's what we all grew up with, and that's what we all fell in love with. And I like the fact that this is different. It's something new, um, and I look forward to seeing what they do with it. You know, Jansen, you got competition for for most positive person now. All right, you, you got you got to step up your game, dude. Let me roll through some inconsistencies um, outside of all the ones that we've mentioned, and I want to get your thoughts and opinions on whether they were justified or they could have done something better. Um, one of the first inconsistencies I noticed was um, Synth Hall. It, it uh, wasn't introduced, I think, until uh, Next Generation or DS9. Um, and it, I think in, in one of the episodes of Next Generation with Scotty, he didn't realize that Synth Hall existed, and yet you can get it on Discovery. Um, I thought the firing of the Earth defense grid uh, and not really damaging discovery was kind of weird because you have 30 they seconds took, they to took out their shield in one shot yeah but wasn't that okay. just one of their ships i thought those were just ships no that's like a defense grid yeah uh, like an orbital uh, uh so those were just big uh, guns basically yeah was, yeah well, see what, what i'm what i'm what i'm getting at is there, there's been such a, a difference in technology that I would expect. I mean, obviously you can't do this because this is the show, right? Right. Um, but you, I would expect something that is, uh, you know, nine hundred years more advanced is going to tear right through some of the metallurgy that was developed in the, you know, twenty third century. Well, it did. It went right through the shields from a hundred percent to nothing, and it blew a big hole in their in their sh- their plating. Right. Okay. You know, good. You, well, you know why? It's because they didn't have a Kirk Spock combo on the bridge, morons. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're absolutely right. But here's here's my problem. They showed a uh, a video or a clip of the bridge where you know the the sparks fly, but then, like the, the immediately the scene afterwards where they stop and they get they get when, um, all of a sudden everything's totally repaired. Uh, they walk through the hallways. There's no, there are no issues. Apparently, it's all been repaired. <laughs> that is true. I didn't like that part. There should have been some medical personnel running around, a little panicked, and they should have right. made it a little more believable. Well, you talked um, about when you talked about the the 900 and something years in the future. I'd also like to point out that you know if you if you read through everything, uh, the Narada which was Nero's ship, the Narada was originally from the, uh, the prime timeline. Right. So, so the Narada 
when it was launching its Borg weapons, torpedoes, they never really touched on that much, but it was Borg technology, it was able to tear through shields and ships, goes straight through the shield, and is blowing up the ship. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with tech. That was in the, the 2300s, the 2400s, somewhere in there. You'd think an extra, you know, seven, 800 years in the future, it would be even more effective than that. What they probably should have done and had it just like a very slight glancing blow, enough to block the ship, but not really do much to Discovery. It should have had like a warning shot, a detonation outside where it creates a shockwave and it knocks out the shields. That would have been kind of plausible, right? As kind of it devil's advocate a wee bit here on that. Um, Earth seems to have become a little bit xenophobic. Um, don't like outsiders, don't want anybody there. The Federation's moved away from Earth, all of that kind of thing. It is possible that uh, they have difficulty trading with other cultures and all of that, and they're relying on old tech and limited tech because they're trying to just stay independent off and doing their own thing. That's a very good point. Yeah, but, but if, yeah, I mean, if you guys remember, good. there's a Tellerite in their boarding party. So there's yeah. aliens on Earth. Well, right. I mean, Earth always had a lot of aliens on it. I mean, the Federation founded there. It would make sense that a lot of people have settled on Earth. They've built families there. And there's a lot more than just humans calling Earth home now. I mean, that makes sense. So I don't think, I don't think they're, they're xenophobic. I think they're scared. Right. He's destruct being xenophobic. You've come into our our space and your your federation ship, your humans and all, but get the fuck out. Well, yeah, that's that's the question though, because we really like I, I hate to say this, but in the trailer for this week's episode, um she's pulling phasers on on trails. I mean, every time we see trail, they're so peaceful. So that tells me they were a little off guard by seeing Federation landing party. Well, like they almost expected a trap, like they, and they explain that, that like we expected a trap. We've been attacked so many times. We were expecting literally people not from Earth, nothing to do with Earth, trying to trick us to get in or something. All right. That leads, that leads me into inconsistency number two and maybe <laughs> three. Inconsistency number two. As far as I remember seeing in all of Star Trek, a starship had just a little bit of dilithium as a crystal, and then in the episodes of TNG, it was like recrystallized or reoriented in order to give more power output. <laughs> That's and, a really good point. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Discovery has like this vault, like Fort like Knox, Fort, Fort Knox <laughs> yeah. dilithium. And I was just that like, was a, like, what? <laughs> wait, why does every starship have this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a really good really good point yeah yeah so i i i didn't even begin to comprehend that at all that was just kind of like oh it looks like discovery hoards the entire dilithium for the alpha quadrant well Tate, you, how much... you and i talked about it off air and i i even brought this up this show is full of conveniences yeah <laughs> there's no Bad it's writing. like you know back in the day it was like okay we have this issue Here's our technology. We now have to solve this issue given the technology that we have. And we have to brainstorm and come up with ideas and ask for people's help and work together. Now it's like, oh, my God, there's an asteroid coming and our weapons won't stop it. 
this is what we're working with. And all of a sudden, somebody just pops out of nowhere and is like, no, this is an asteroid destruction button because it's a thousand years in the future. <laughs> yeah. There's no problem solving in this show. It's like this convenient, oh, yeah, there's a tool for that. Like, what is it, a Craftsman commercial? You know, yeah. that, that's, a, that's a really good point. But that's also the problem they have. Who, who is their chief engineer? I want to know that, please. <laughs> CBS, tell me who the senior staff is. Um, I, yeah. I definitely have that issue because without that senior staff, we can't solve those problems. Because then they're like, oh, hey, let's go to the babysitter's club and talk about it. And everyone has an equal say. And everyone's super smart. And everyone yeah. figures it out together. And that's not how chain of command works. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's yeah. a, it's it's a big melee. <laughs> All right, inconsistency number three. Okay, uh, the burn caused a bunch of ships to explode. And Jansen, you touched upon this earlier. What about the the Romulan micro wormhole warp technology? What about Borg artificial quantum conduit? singularity? Yes, thank you. Uh, what about Borg transwarp conduits? What about slipstream technology? What about uh, uh, you know just any anything other than warp drive? Why haven't those technologies been prevalent? And similarly, Burnham says millions of people died. Okay, tragic. I get it. You want to build tragedy, but there are trillions of life forms out there. So. On a scale, you're really not losing that much. So why wouldn't things continue on as they've been going on? Well, well it, it, it break, reminds break me that, of that break scene. That down, break that down for a second because the only thing and, – and I'll shut up, Kirk, and let you talk after this. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, if you think about the flag, the flag had six stars. Each star stands for a Federation world. That happened before the burn. So the Federation is dying out before the burn. Okay. That is that that, that is the one thing I'm I just want to say about that. The only thing that I wanted I wanted to jump in there it was just kind of a bit of a, a little bit of humor. That whole scene where they talk about millions of people died, it reminds me of the Austin Powers when he goes to the future and he's like, I want one million dollars and they're like, uh really? Like he's like, uh, <laughs> this company alone's worth sixteen billion dollars. <laughs> and it's like it's like you really undersold it, man. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. No. It. It. I. I'm with. That is a great analogy, Kirk. Uh. To your point, uh, Jansen. So I, the Federation might have been dying out, but remember, the burn occurred around 20 years after Daniel, like Daniel's timeline. So I, and Daniel's didn't seem to mention that there was like a dying in the Federation. So mm -hmm. it. It. it Again, that's not to say it, the Federation wasn't dying before Daniels' time. I'm just saying it conflicts with, you know, Enterprise and uh, Discovery. I'm, right. But again, I'm just saying, like, the sheer magnitude of how many worlds exist. We don't, in the know, we don't know if a time traveler jumped ahead of Daniels and changed all that. You're right. Fucking Temporal Mechanics 101. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck! I'm such an idiot. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't figure to configure the quantum variance matrix to point zero three. You know. 
<laughs> I opened the wrong wormhole and we ended up 300 years ahead of where we should have ended up. Damn it. God damn it, tech. <laughs> Fucking guy. Okay, number four. Inconsistency. What the hell happened to that Indian dude? I thought I, I thought Burnham and, and Book recruited him on their quest to rebuild the Federation. What where did he go? So he, so why why you talk about this? This is one thing I'm curious about. So where is the Federation? No one knows. It doesn't look like it's gonna be on trail. Um he has two Federation ships working yeah. for him. And <laughs> They're in a different quadrant. So the only thing I want, I the burning question for me is where the, I swear, where the F is the Federation? Right. That's a, that's a great point because he says, welcome to Starfleet. He is Starfleet. So yeah. apparently Starfleet is one person and two ships. And apparently he was recruited to go as their navigator, but apparently didn't. And and what it was the his moment when he appeared and that little kind of moment uh, where he, he took the flag and all that kind of stuff that was one of the things that overwhelmingly everybody in here the positive people the negative people everybody agreed this is what we want to see this is this is okay this is all right like we can get into this and it's just disappeared it's just gone and it, it, it make, it's like the, it's like Tig Notaro's character is like you know these are really good things about discovery and you're just not utilizing them. You're off talking about Burnham's hair and her with Buck and talking about fucking, like, I don't know, if you love something, you let it go, you know? And it's like, what? <laughs> Where, where's the good shit that you're off the show? <laughs> it's like, you're gonna right. come to, we're going to come to find out that the Federation is going to be like the Family Guy episode where Peter starts his own country. No, it, it's going to be worse than that. The, the, the burn is going to be caused by Burnham because burn is in her name. That's what we're going to find out. Boom. Mind blown. <laughs> Not so much. All right. Here, here's a uh, something I wanted to bring can up. I, can I just say something really quick? Okay, go ahead. Um, I draw on a lot of Star Trek from video games because I think the video, uh, the developers, not Scopely, of course, but most of the d developers do a really good job of fabricating maps. If you look at Star Trek Online, Earth is in one quadrant with Vulcan, with Romulan space, with Klingon space. There is the adjoining quadrant, and I believe Earth is Beta. Alpha quadrant, I believe, is Bajor. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say that's where the Federation is. Let's I think see, Earth I, I think the last time I saw a map, Earth was right on the border between the Alpha and the Beta quadrant. Yes, it is. It's right on the border. Right. And I but think if that guy so I, can only scan six hundred thousand light years and they jumped a quadrant. Right. It's telling me uh, it's in another quadrant from Earth. It's possible. You, you, you may think that the Federation moved to Deep Space Nine. Who knows? I'm, we can only speculate. Because <laughs> it's still running after a thousand years. Oh, dude. It's, it's, trust me. Thank God we invented the you know, anti-gravity device to keep it running. Come on now. This <laughs> is <laughs> discovery. There were Cardassians, were there not, um, in the back of uh, some of the scenes in that last episode and Morn's race and they're rebooting D deep space nine so i did not Who see knows? any cardassians but yeah the lurian uh, Morn's race was uh with the hand cannons yeah um okay there was there was something else out of my mind that i wanted to bring up but i seem to have forgot it <laughs> 
Oh, oh, you know, here, here's something that, okay, I, I got it back. Um, and this is something that, that Handy brought up where he's, he likes to see something different. And I thought this was such an interesting moment, but maybe for some of the wrong reasons. And that's when Burnham tries to get this, the uniform on, on book. And he, he doesn't really want to. And uh, Burnham says, well, it's just a uniform or maybe book says it's just a uniform. And I thought to me, that was kind of like a jarring moment where, you know, it, it, it Starfleet oh. is, yeah, there are a bunch of explorers, that it, it, but it, it, it's a, it's a reflection of kind of like military service. Like you respect the uniform. And when you put the uniform on certain principles, you abide by. And he puts on the uniform. He's like, well, fuck, it's just a f fucking piece of fabric, you know? And I, I thought that was kind of a, a, a jarring moment that somebody, maybe not Starfleet, may, you know, Starfleet's been gone for a while, but somebody just puts on a uniform and doesn't feel that appreciation was just kind of jarring to see. In what way do you mean now, uh, Tech, in that it, it was jarring that Book didn't appreciate it or it was jarring in how uh, Burnham was kind of just... I just think the throw, entire... Just throw it on you, just clothes. I think the the entirety of the scene was was just like the uniform means nothing to anybody. Like it didn't mean right. anything to Burnham and it didn't mean anything to Book in the entire scene. It was just like throw it on so they episode, can That whole episode I got got the feeling that it none of it really meant anything to Burnham. It only took her a year to I don't know about any of you guys if ever, if ever you fell in love, but Jesus Christ, after a year I still had fucking very strong feelings like when 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 I've had my heart broken and shit like that there. Um when I I've been apart from somebody that I deeply cared uh, for, or apart from uh, from a group or an organisation that I cared about, it takes me longer than a year to just go. Ah, well, I've kind of let that go. To come back into that, like I said earlier, and fucking and and she's just kind of like, ah, oh, well, like I've kind of left it all behind a little bit. I don't really want to take command, and it's just a uniform and uh, this kind of shit. It's like right, maybe Burnham, maybe you shouldn't be there then. Maybe you don't care about this as much as the rest of us do. <laughs> Right, and that's why it was so kind of jarring to see that, like, you know, the uniform really, you know, there were those principles behind it. You've sworn an oath to uphold the Federation to, you know, dignity and diversity and cooperation, and all of a sudden, like, oh, it's just a piece of fabric. Just put it on so nobody nobody finds who you are. That was that was kind of jarring. Kind of in a negative sense, not not necessarily in a positive sense. devil's advocate, though, if it were me in that situation, and I was afraid that they... The game was going to be up and I needed some asshole that was refusing to fucking dress any differently, put it on. I'd probably say whatever it takes to get him to put the uniform on and say, here, it's only a fucking piece of fabric. Put it on you. It mightn't necessarily reflect what I believe. Right. But it, but it the, the, the amount of deference, the deference that was shown to the uniform. Yeah, was just by both characters. Like, ah, oh, just whatever. You know, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, tell me something that, uh, um, that I'm not 100% certain of. I know in all of the other Star Treks, you'll see crewmen on the ships who don't wear the full Starfleet uniform. They might be just in, like, overalls, for example. Um, you mean like Tom Paris? Right, or you might have, like, even civilian staff on the ship or whatever it might be. You know, there are, there are people on the starships that don't wear the uniform that we'll see the bridge crew wearing, for example. Um, does everybody on Discovery wear the same uniform? I, I think so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Officers and non-officers alike. Well, I don't think it carries non-officers. 
Because if we remember, it's different from the Enterprise. It's um, well, at first it was. It's just the amount of section thirty, section thirty-one all over it, and and super secret science project. What's the crew complement on it again? Somebody said this to me the last time. We've forgotten. It's it's down to eighty-eight people. It's down to but as a full complement, what would it be? I think it's like one fifty. Mm. You'd wonder, like it's ten years before the next gen, um, the the original series, for example. The original series, uh, Enterprise, was full of people in overalls who were just manual laborers, for want of a better description. Maybe skilled uh, technicians, but they weren't officers, you know. Um, but their their missions are very different, and they're different types mm. of vessels. Yeah, but, we also but, in, but in the work. The next... I'm, I'm talking functionality here. The work, like you're talking about, the absence of the chief engineer and who is the the chief engineer, and let's see all of the engineering and all of that. Well, kind I, of stuff. I just think that's sloppy writing. Yeah, but you'd you'd imagine that if you're getting into a Jeffrey's tube, you, the technology, a lot of technology would be the same. Like there are Jeffrey's tubes, bulkheads, all of this. You know, you have to get be the Miles O'Brien, roll up the sleeves, and get in as a grease monkey. You know, um. You'd imagine that some of that work just, it's not that the uniform isn't the ideal outfit to be wearing. The dress uniform or the uniforms that they're, they're sporting aren't necessarily the gear you'd want to be wearing if you're down in the bloody engine room sweating it off trying to fucking fix it. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what I'm saying? Well, you also, yeah. have to rem- you also have to remember that even some of those people that you see in the other shows, you have to remember a lot of those other starships for exploration, they, they would have the officer and the officer's family would be on board with them as well. So you'd end right. up seeing a lot of people walking around that really didn't work for Starfleet. That's Starface. what I'm saying. Like, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, <laughs> is, is there not any room on Discovery for non-commissioned personnel to be in other another get-up without, without no. necessarily giving them a uniform that's like a a lieutenant's uniform, you know? No, it's a, it's a scientific prototype ship. Um, so super, super, super high-level um, security... Um, making sure no one no one steals the secrets of what Starfleet is working on. So it's a very different ship than uh, an exploration vessel. Right, but you still got the grease monkey that needs to go and get his hands dirty and climb into a Jeffrey's tube. You'd imagine they still wear the uniform. Plus, Discovery. This is the one thing where <laughs> they break canon. <laughs> you know all the little bots they have. <laughs> they probably yeah. send those. Those little boxes. Oh, the Sentinel ship. Yeah. Yeah. Well, isn't that more advanced than what Kirk had? Yeah, it's more advanced. Yeah. Well, Kirk's Kirk's red alert klaxon was a fucking bubble light from an old Michigan State Patrol vehicle. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well. All right. Um, Anybody else got any inconsistencies that they want to bring up? In the episode, you've done. I think you've done a pretty good job of it there, Tech. I'm just trying to think if there, if I remember anything else that I thought was inconsistent. Um, the synthahol thing we didn't really get into. You mentioned at the start, like um, I, I got some. I got something, and this bothered me. Okay, Jansen. So Adira puts down like this huge piece of equipment. That is blocking everyone from doing their job, and no one notices, except for Tilly and right. Samets. That that right there, I thought was was pretty odd. Well, um, I will defend that because um, she was kind of being sneaky about it. 
But what I don't understand is, okay, at the end of the episode, it reveals yes. that she's a trill, okay? And uh, I don't think the Discovery understands that there's a symbiote. However, she doesn't remember much of the symbiote's memories, but was still able to remember how to sabotage a, uh, a, a, a transporter interference pattern on a 900-year-old ship. Well, I think what they're alluding to there is that she has all the information, but maybe not all the access to it. Um, you know, it, it's possible. You're right. Uh, but it's um, and don't get me wrong. Um, you know, people that have experienced trauma in their life block out certain memories. And I get that. And it, it, it fits. Um, but regardless of all the memories that you block out, if if you had a traumatic event, how do you still know to to do something when you can't access those memories? Well, that's just you're getting into the world of Sigmund Freud and Carl Gustav Jung here, and how the unconscious fucking works. Like, I mean, we could we could pick this apart all day long, know. right? Because like, not only was it a freaking nine hundred something year old ship, but it was a one of a kind. 900 and something year old ship so yeah i mean we could pick it apart all day long we but i mean i think that we've proven that there's no there's not enough communication between the writers yeah it's it's very true so uh how shall we rate the episode anybody want to start what's the scale (laughs) uh uh geez what's what's a good scale um from from one being the worst to uh space wizards <laughs> i'll just keep it on it keep it on a one to ten scale ten ten being some of the best episodes we've seen one being some of the worst episodes we've seen. i'd give it a seven and and jansen's back baby optimist. <laughs> <laughs> Handy, what do you got? Oh, I don't know. I'll say somewhere in the middle. <laughs> somewhere in the middle. All right. Yeah, I mean, I, I like a lot of things didn't. Just, just think of some of the episodes that we've seen that have been re- very awesome, like in the pale moonlight, where Cisco uh, orchestrates this thing with Garrick in order to get the Romulans into the war. Or, uh, or the the Hugo award-winning episode with uh, in TNG where Picard lives an entire lifetime about the the uh, water drying up, or you know Darmok and and Jalad and Tanagra, you know, or or there are four lights where you know along along that spectrum of you got like eight hundred episodes to choose from. Okay. Amrigan, what do you give it? Uh, given what, given how you're after, uh, you have to set out the stall there with some of them episodes. I'm, I think I'm obliged to give it like a five or something. Um, I was gonna give it like a six because of the Jonathan Freaks thing. It, it did give me some optimism, even though the episode itself didn't overwhelm me. Um, 
Yeah, but given some of them episodes you've mentioned and some of the original series episodes that, uh, that exist and Voyager and all of that, uh, like, uh, I'm probably obliged to give it a five, to be honest with you. All right. All right. Kirk and Handy, you guys want to want to jump in, give your rating? <sighs> I would have to rate it somewhere around the Atari ET game. Because <laughs> uh, that's how much of a failure I think it is, and so much of a joke I think it is. If you were to put it on a number scale, it would probably be like a three and a half. The three and a half is the only reason it's getting that is because the actors, it's not their fault. They're, I think they're doing the best job they can. Um, and that's, that's, that's really all I, the only positive thing I can say about it. I'm really upset because, as we talked about for episode two, it seemed to kind of reel me in, and I was like kind of excited to see what comes next. And then they pulled the rug out from under me. <laughs> all right, I'll give it. I'll give it a four and a half, just for all the basic inconsistencies that I've pointed out. And uh, the synth hall thing. I mean, you know. Also, the th- the throwaway dialogue. That's. I understand you only have ten hours or or twelve hours or however many hours to make this show, or how much content you can put in it. I just don't like the throwaway dialogue where it's like. Oh, I was trying to get a good buzz going. You really, you really can't get a buzz on Cinta Hall. Like, it's not how, not how that works. All right, so we down for a watch party for episode four. Yeah, well, I'd stick it on as always. Yep. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check if it out. Morgan doesn't start it too early, like he did last week. It's hard. It's hard to keep everybody happy. <laughs> it's it, it's his job. He's the man. All right, guys. I want to thank everybody for being here. Admiral Jansen, Amergan, Kirk, Handy. Appreciate uh, all the content that you guys do for uh, Star Trek Fleet Command. And uh, live long and prosper. We'll see you guys next time. This has been Trek Talk with Tech and Kirk. I'm Tech Man Sixteen. And this show makes me sad. (laughs) And we'll see you guys next episode.